Hey, I'm Brianna. And I'm Lauren. It's easy to compare yourself to others on social media. But if there's one thing we know, it's that Instagram is just a highlight reel. That's why we are bringing you raw and honest conversations on success, health, finance, and relationships from the people who aren't afraid to speak the truth. Anything else is all bullshit. You're listening to It's All Bullshit with Lauren and Brianna. Hey, hey, how are you today? Oh, uh, you know, you know, living the dream. I'm in my underpants uh, on my computer working. <laughs> Quote, oh, working. I see. You're really trying. Yeah, there we go. We're really, really trying to ramp up that OnlyFans uh, crowd, huh? <laughs> yes. No, um, really, I am loving the live at home life. So if you guys listened, I revealed what was that episode two or three that I was a Hooters girl and I just recently quit just because of like the environment and the customers that were coming in like whatever so you know we're we're one step closer to that completely self-employed life we're excited about it but now I get to work at home in my underpants more often so I'm here for right it. and how I'm are you for it too good good I feel the same way I was actually um I just was writing a little bit some of my thoughts and just thinking about how grateful I was that I don't, you know, like wait tables anymore because it's so empowering to get to decide how you're treated as opposed to just having to like succumb to the nature of the service industry, which is you are a lot of times subservient. People shouldn't treat you like that, but they do. So I'm just so glad to be out of it. And you and I both like embarked on this um you know, journey. I think we both started our businesses around the same time. And it's a really empowering feeling. Like, I mean, there's a lot of unknowns, there's a lot of uncertainty, but it's really great when you don't have to like clock in and do a thing every day because you have to, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And just um whether and even if you are clocking in or doing whatever, just to have a career and something that you're passionate about and you're super excited about, or you know, the other people that you work with are super passionate and excited about what they're working on is just like such a better environment and a better position to have yourself in. And it just can completely change your life. Just because when you show up every day, whether showing up for you is getting to the office or sitting down at your computer in the other bedroom, you're showing up and you're just happy to be doing what you're doing. And it's, it changes everything. Exactly. And that's the thing. It's that if you're in an industry that you you like or you feel like you get a lot of fulfillment out of, then there's nothing wrong than working for somebody else. Like I wish that I found um, kind of a career that I was able to do. It. I think things would have been a lot simpler and a lot easier for me. Oh, yeah. Um, but when you're just doing something because you have to, I mean, and I love that quote that you say, like, do what you have to do until you can you can do what you want to do. And that is necessary sometimes. I mean, I think especially in our 20s, we eat a lot of shit, you know, shit, breakfast, lunch, dinner, shit, breakfast, lunch, dinner, shit, breakfast, lunch, dinner, because you're like, you know, you're finishing, you're finishing your degrees, you're finishing your, you know, whatever it is, like the, the research or the internships or the lower level paying jobs, you know, you get shit on a lot. And I don't know. I think you and I spent a lot of time talking about how like, yes, that is necessary. Um, but don't let it become you. Don't let it dictate who you are. And as soon as you can get out, I mean, do it. And starting a business is something I didn't, I don't know about you, but like, I didn't grow up with that as ever being an option, like thinking of being an entrepreneur. Did you? 
No. So, I mean, my dad owns his own landscaping company, but I never thought about it. I always thought I would be in the medical field. Like, I always, like, wanted to help people. I think medicine is super fascinating. I'm blown away by the human body. Like, oh my god, I remember I was in PA school. I was studying to be a physician's assistant out of high school. I got into a PA program, and we were learning coagulation, which is, like, basically, like, how your body, like, helps stop bleeding. And I was just blown – like, it's just so cool. I always thought I would be – in the medical field. And then I get to my senior year of college and I party a little too hard and I wasn't going to get in because I, I transferred. So I wasn't in the PA program anymore. And then I wasn't going to get in to PA school unless I redid, took some classes, which is fine. I could have retaken them. But then I started thinking like, is that what I wanted to do? And my little brother was super into entrepreneurship. Uh, I started dating Kevin who was studying marketing and that was like more, he had like more of a business mindset and just starting to talk to other people. And I was just like, I don't know anymore. And I was like, I'm not wasting, because I paid for college myself. I was like, I'm not wasting any more money on school unless I know that I want to be in the medical field. And then it was kind of a shit show ride of a few years. And here we are. And uh, two things I want to say in regard to what you just said. So um, you were saying how, you know, like the whole do what you have to do or whatever. And like we do, we put up with a lot of shit. But I think one thing that a lot of people do nowadays is they think like, oh, so-and-so is an entrepreneur. So-and-so is like just doing online coaching. I can do online coaching and they quit their jobs completely. And now they're doing this online coaching or whatever their like other like little goal dream side hustle is. And then they're screwed because it doesn't take off right off the bat. And they're like, oh my God, what do I do? And they freak out. And then that's when they have to resort back to their other jobs. And then they think they failed. And so I think one thing that's super important to remember is a lot of those people that you see that are the online coaches, they're not posting about how they still were a server at the time or they still had their nine to five or whatever it is. Not everybody's as honest about that. They want you to think, oh, I'm this big successful coach, work with me. Or, you know, I had this successful business that I just started and it's booming. Like buy from me, you're going to love it. Which is like, okay, but like, let's be a little bit more real here. It sucks. Nobody wants to do that thing that we're not passionate about to pay the bills, but sometimes you have to. And then um, my second point is, is don't be afraid to do random shit until you know what you want to do. Like maybe you graduate high school, you graduate college and you don't know. You're like, shit, I have this degree. What do I do now? I don't, I don't want to do, you know, sociology and you have to wait tables. Don't feel bad about that. Like we were saying like the other day, like there, you know, there's these timelines that society makes up, you know, you graduate high school, then you graduate college and you get a career and you become successful and you get married. Like, no, that's all bullshit. Like, Mm -hmm. We're going to have these different, everybody's going to have a different timeline. It's going to look different. Some people don't find their passion until they're in their 40s. So, I mean, that's amazing if you figure out what you want to do so young and good for you and you stick to it and your career never changes. That's awesome. But it's not like that for everybody. And don't feel bad about that. It wasn't like that for me. I mean, I didn't even go to college until I was 24 years old. Um, and it just, I just wasn't my time before then. I wasn't focused. I didn't want it. I was making money and then I wanted it and then I did it. And then, you know what? I got fucking straight A's in college, you know? Um, and it's the same thing with career. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with the things that I thought I wanted to do. Didn't pan out for certain various reasons. And then when I started a business and I was still waiting tables five nights a week, you're right about that, Brie, because I wasn't like, oh, um, on my um, like wine up social media page, for example, I wasn't like showing that I was working in the wine industry, like waiting tables, 
or studying wine, you know, um, you know, getting books and doing all this work behind the scenes to be better in my business. I wasn't showing those things. I, cause I, you know, it's that whole fake it team, make it mentality. I wanted everyone to already think that I had made it. Um, and one thing I want to kind of like add on to like what you're saying, if you, in for people, because I know that our audience, the demographic is mostly between the ages of 23 and 27. And that those years were the hardest years of my life. Um, a lot of self-doubt, a lot of questioning things, a lot of feeling inferior, a lot of fear-based decisions, you know, contingent on like where I was moving or who I was dating. It was usually out of fear. It wasn't because I chose those people or I chose those jobs. I didn't even choose my school. I only applied to one school because I was so terrified of rejection and they accepted me, thank God. And I went to that school. Um, so I just want to like what I've leaned into more and being in my thirties now and something, if you're struggling right now and you're, you you know, you need some inspiration is really just think about like what you are really good at and what is something that you do better than anybody else. And really just kind of think about that. And that's what I did. And I mean, it, for me, I have a way with words. I have a way with my thoughts and I build on that in a creative way and I'm relatable is what I've been told a lot. Um, and I kind of am like a no bullshit writer and thinker and I've learned how to leverage that in a way that works for me. Um, what about you? What are, I feel like you're kind of similar in that sense, but you have other strengths too. Oh yeah. Um, I think, and I've told you this before, like one of my, uh, strengths I would say is that like I go for things like whenever like I want something I go for it like you said I've been in a bullshit mentality like and you know I try to be honest about all of that as well um and one thing that I love is that like I said like I go for things and if something feels right and it's what I want to do I just do it and on that note like everybody's trying to figure out what they want to do long-term, what they want the end goal to be. Like they want to be an entrepreneur. They're thinking about this business that's going to make them all this money. And it's going to be the one thing they do forever. Like it doesn't have to be like that. Like I knew I wanted to start online coaching. So I started it. It turned into a business. Then I knew I wanted to add on. I wanted to sell, you know, some sweatshirts that have my logo on or my motto and my logo and whatever else that turned into what it is. And then that led me to want to do Wayland. Like it's, I didn't just come up with the idea of Waylon 10 years ago when I was writing for the right time to launch it. Things come as you're figuring it out and as you're trying different stuff. And if you have no idea, like you were saying, you know, find that thing that's like your biggest strength. If you don't know what that is or you don't know that thing that you love to do is, just try a bunch of shit out till you figure it out. Exactly. I, I think people get caught up on like, oh, I'm trying this career and that's what I'm going to see if I like. But I love that you were saying, I know that my strength is, you know, you have a way with words and you're good at writing and things like that. And then you were able to put that into effect with Wine Up and now with Mm -hmm. your, you know, social media marketing that you do and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it's not that you're so passionate about social media marketing. It's that you're passionate about, you know, putting things out in a way that other people can relate and can understand them and helping people like, grow and become better because of that. And Mm -hmm. that's something that people need to think about too. Mm -hmm. I think people, and we were both saying the same thing, but we both have different experiences, which is why I love this platform for us. Um, But I think people relate and are drawn to people that are passionate. 
Um, and it's like how you were saying, like when I was asking you, like what kind of guy are you attracted to? Or what are you attracted to? And you're like work ethic. Have you ever like been out on a date with somebody who like wasn't passionate at all about anything? And it's like, I don't know if you have, but like, I, I feel like I have. Um, and I'm like, it's like somebody who doesn't like soul music or someone who doesn't like, do you know what I'm saying? Like they don't like, I, uh, well, here's, a, here's an example. I was, um, I dated this guy or I went out like four dates with this guy like four years ago and I was putting on Sam Cook, and Sam Cook's like this like soulful um, kind of um, R and B singer from like the '60s, I want to say, and just like very awesome, soothing music. And I like put him on, and we're like in bed and like winding down, having some wine. And he was like, "Oh, can you turn that music down?" I was like, "Excuse me, you want me to turn down the legendary Sam Cook?" Like it wasn't even like blasting, but anyways. But I remember like. That guy also just, like, cared about just his car and his, like, muscles. Like, he was, like, only – he was, like, upper body only type guy. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. And I was just, like, no. Wait. Anyways, I, I just feel, like, off topic, but <laughs> – Love it. Um, But I just, like – people are drawn to passion. So, like, whatever it is, just find what you enjoy until you find what makes you money. Um. And really just focus on finding what you're – and if you can leverage that to make money, great. Sometimes leveraging what you enjoy isn't always all that is cracked up to be. Oh, yeah. Well, we're going to talk to Mira Clark today. Yes, who is um, such an exciting guest. And I was saying before about how, you know, for us, it is the entrepreneur life. But for her, you know, she goes into work and she deals with clients, but she gets to deal with people and see how excited they are about their products and different things that they're doing for their new businesses that are starting and whatever else. And just super fun to talk to her. Super excited for you guys to hear this. I One of the things that I think I really like about her is that she talks about how it's so rewarding to be able to work as like a team member on an entrepreneur's journey. I think that that's so exciting. I know that when I started my business, I started surrounding myself with more entrepreneurs. And it's it's fun to like nerd out over business starting. Like there's something about an entrepreneur or people that are involved in the world of entrepreneurship. They're really lovely dynamic I mean sometimes they're not don't get me wrong but like I, I have found like a lot of inspiration and I've learned a lot from other entrepreneurs I think that uh with that whoop, whoop. here it is with we graph all these things and it's just like up and to the right and everyone started breaking out but like a freaking high schooler but we are getting back to normal you're glowing and your forehead's so tight i just got my botox yesterday i'm like waiting for it to kick in <laughs> <laughs> so um 
So today we have Mira. Mira brings a strong finance background and deep understanding of consumer businesses to obvious ventures. She has spent time in technology investment banking, supporting consumer internet and software executives through both late stage private placements and initial public offerings. Wow. Mira also scaled the firm's early stage technology accelerator, the Multicultural Innovation Lab, focused on female and multicultural entrepreneurs. She remains passionate about and focused on supporting such founders at Obvious Ventures. Um, you also hold a bachelor's in management science and engineering and have focused on entrepreneurship from Stanford University. And you embrace the East and West attitude across all aspects of your life. Okay, my first question to you, Mira, how do you sleep at night? Because it doesn't seem like you would have any time. <laughs> oh my goodness. Sleep is truly one of my favorite categories. So it's funny that you asked Lauren. Um, I <laughs> strictly take CBD every night, stop caffeine, consumption, afternoon, um, and religiously check my aura ring score. And so sleep, again, near and dear to my heart. If you want to talk for an hour about sleep, I can take you down that, down that pathway. But I think, you know, to your point, it's, it's challenging because we all recognize the importance of sleep in maintaining our performance, but even more so just our sanity. That said, I frequently feel like I don't have the time to squeeze it in. So it's kind of, how do you make this work? I love hearing when like successful people and entrepreneurs and everybody else are actually prioritizing sleep because I follow like a lot of the, you know, Gary Vee and Eric Thompson and those type of people. And they're all like, don't sleep, like wake up at three, like blah, blah, blah. And at the beginning of my, you know, entrepreneur journey, that's what I like thought that I had to do to be successful. And I still probably sleep less than the majority of my friends because I know I have a lot of shit that I need to get done. But at the same time, my brain just does not function if I don't have enough sleep. So I love like hearing that people are like, no, you need to prioritize it. And they're still like successful as hell. Yeah, it's the whole dynamic of being short-term selfish, um, to give back longer term to everyone around you. You know, I go to sleep between nine and 10 PM, which makes me sound like a grandma, but it's because I want to wake up, you know, between five and six to begin my day and have some time alone to really just crank things out before, you know, my inbox or texts start blowing up. But when you are going to bed at nine and you are no longer responding to your friends, yeah, you feel a little bit crazy. You feel a little bit selfish, but I think it is to your point, so worth it. Um, because your body needs fuel and sleep is about the most generous um, and lowest cost fuel that you can give it. I like that. And I think that it's about that holistic self-love and like putting some intentionality about taking care of yourself. And it's not just like as hard as you beast mode, you also need to recover. And Brie and I both come from a bodybuilding background where um, I'm sure Brie, I don't know if your coach emphasized this as well, but like recovery is just as important as like working out super hard. Um, and when your brain is always in that, I think it's that like beta wave where you're constantly like beast moding and focused and like you have all of these plates in the air, you actually need to bring it back down to that like theta mode as well. Um, I've been studying a little bit more about that. And that means sleep. Yes. Um, it means sleep. It also means providing time within your schedule throughout the day to get that mental sleep or mental reset, whether it's spending time with a friend, reading a different type of article, taking five minutes to meditate um, between meetings. If you have the luxury of that time, it truly works wonders. And again, in terms of just getting you back to your baseline so that you kind of have that springboard to, to launch them. 
So Mira, I want to ask you a little bit. So you're a venture capitalist in San Francisco. There are not many female VCs. So for those of the people that are listening to this that aren't familiar with like the VC world that don't live in San Francisco, can you just give us a little bit of a synopsis of what it is that you do as a venture capitalist? Yeah. So venture capital for me is kind of being on this intellectual playground every day. As a venture venture capitalist, I am focused on identifying um, and investing in early stage companies. I focus on the consumer space specifically. And so I am looking at effectively products, platforms, and services that make people healthier and or happier, um, whether that's referring to their financial health, their physical health, their mental health, really thinking about kind of how we can drive world positive change, as we like to call it, at, at Obvious. I think to Lauren's point, one, one difference about myself versus many of the people around me is probably how I look. You know, we are recording this via Zoom. Thank you, quarantine. Um, but the three of us, I would say, look somewhat different than your traditional tech bro, Silicon Valley bro. I wear dresses or jumpsuits to work every day. Lauren and I met at Run the Runway, um, which is amazing. And so bringing kind of that more feminine approach or that forwardly feminine approach, I think is something that that definitely takes people by surprise. It can be a handicap, but it can also be an asset. Um, but it's something that I would say, you know, is top of mind every day in my interactions. And as I think about, you know, the example I want to set, my hope, you know, three, five, 10, 20 years down the line is that there are more people that look like us um, in the industry because it's going to make, you know, the networking events or the dinners a lot more fun, <laughs> at least for me. And so I, you know, really strive every day to set an example by remaining authentic to that brand, because I think it's important for people to have, you know, someone that looks like them, talks like them, acts like them. I certainly sound like a valley girl some days and, you know, I don't feel bad about it. Um, but so that, you know, the next generation has those examples um, in the market so that they don't necessarily feel like they need to conform to this, you know, Patagonia vest wearing, all birds sporting, you know, tech bro mentality. Yeah, I was actually doing research last night because I don't I don't know any venture capitalists. I didn't know much about like what they do or anything. And I saw a statistic that was saying that uh, venture capitalists are in the US are 82% male and 70% white. And I just like love that you're like out there and you're killing it. And like you are so passionate about like showing people that it doesn't have to be that way. And you can get your foot in this industry, even if like you're not a white guy. Like So I love that like, you definitely focus on that. You think about that every day. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the best parts about venture capital is that there are so many ways to do the job well. And what works for me is going to be very different than what works for someone else. And what drew me into the industry, again, is probably very different than, than what drew other people. I think for me, one of the best parts about my job is that as I think about what qualities define my job, it's kind of this insight into the future and this overarching theme of love. I'm spending time with people every single day that are, you know, falling in love with their companies, falling in love with their industries. And I get to witness this expression of love in, in the pitches that they make to me. Um, and, you know, at times fall in love with their idea, their company, their vision, and then support them in making, you know, the, those ambitions a reality. So it's really exciting from that perspective. I think that, you know, why someone else goes into the industry is probably very different. And, and that's totally fine. We are all working towards this, you know, similar overarching goal of 
you know, building the world or investing in the world that we hope to exist five, 10, 20 years down the line, um, which is, it's pretty cool because it's almost like watching a trailer at the movie theaters. You're like, I know this is coming. Um, I don't know exactly how it's going to play out, but, but I'm excited about it. There's a lot of, I think, misconceptions about what it is to be a female founder. And since you touched on that, being a woman in venture capital has some misconceptions. What do you think of when you hear or when you see the hashtag girl boss? You know, so many mixed views, particularly in today's environment. Um, to me, I view it initially positively in that I think that someone that's taking that girl boss mentality um, has the potential to inspire the next generation and drive meaningful change for these industries, which is incredible. That said, I think you know, individuals that are embodying this girl boss mentality are saying, or for some reason are expressing this idea that I am a boss in all aspects of my life. I'm crushing it at work. I'm, you know, looking great at dinner on Friday night with my friends. I, you know, have a supportive family environment. I look my best. I feel my best. And it's really hard to, you know, be in the top 1% across 12 different segments. And so, I think that, you know, these founders are frequently put on a pedestal um, and held to, at times, unreasonable standards. Where I think, you know, some people get into trouble is that they are overcommitting or overpromising on what they can deliver. I can tell you that I'm not going to wash my hair every day or I'm not going to dry my hair every day. And so I would never want the world to hold me to that standard. That said, if, you know, I'm committing to showing up with this beautiful blowout and six inch heels for every meeting, it becomes draining and something has to give. I think that by coming out so vocally as uh, you can hold me to, you know, the top 1% across all of these areas, founders at times are setting themselves up for, up for failure. I think what I would love to see more of is this embrace of vulnerability or this embrace of imperfection across certain areas. I think, you know, as humans, we all have, we all have our flaws. We all have our development areas and that's totally fine because it highlights the opportunity for growth. And so I think that, you know, to be a true girl boss, in my opinion, means being great at, you know, what you're committing to, but then also saying, I'm not great at these other things, but I'm working on them and I would like your support. And so I'm hopeful that as, you know, 2020 has flipped all of our assumptions or expectations on, on their heads, I'm hopeful that we will see more embrace of this, you know, vulnerability as an asset to, you know, fully take Brene Brown's playbook. Um, but I don't think we've necessarily seen it to date um, as explicitly. Uh, so so to, as a long-winded answer to your question, you know, love conceptually the idea of a girl boss, but I just don't think we've seen it, you know, executed correctly in practice in many ways. Yes, work hard in these areas and do your best, but you're never going to, I don't want to say never, but you may not always be that top 1% in every single category, just like you said. I think you put it so perfectly. Well, thank you. And yeah, absolutely. It was a beautiful answer. And I know from my experience of starting, um, you know, a wine events company in San Francisco, there was a lot of times where I was very inundated in the female founder community. And it was like a lot of the blind leading the blind and not enough people calling out other founders on their bullshit. Um, a lot of people operate on assumptions or a lot of people are in the proof of concept stage and, you know, then start talking about like, you know, going to VCs already and they kind of have like an order of operations misstep and there's not enough calling it out. 
And then, like you said, Mira, there's also a ton of people running themselves into the ground and just really not taking care of their mental health. And I'll speak for myself. And that was like, for me, for real. And I took a step back from my business, the way it was operating, and then just kind of moved into like a consulting role. And it was the best decision I ever ever made. And I had wished that more people had called me out and like, Hey, Lauren, like you're going cuckoo crazy. You can't keep operating this way. Um, so I'm just so, so glad that you're bringing that to light and like, talking about your hopes for the future and what like girl boss means. Yeah. I think it's, it's funny that we're chatting about this. I was discussing this last night at dinner that the most generous gift you can really give someone is feedback. And I think it's something that we all weirdly hold back from. We, you know, over the past you know, few years have been just throwing out compliments left and right. Your shirt looks great. Your speech was great. And maybe it wasn't. And maybe you look bad and that's okay. <laughs> but if you really want to, you know, get better or get closer to being on track, it's that, it's that constructive feedback that can really drive a meaningful difference. You know, you might not be investing in capital, but you are investing in your friends or your peers or whatever it is by, by helping make them better with that feedback. Um, but it's awkward and weird. And so, so many people and, you know, in many ways taboo. So, so many people shy away from it. Maybe there's room for change. We will, we will see. So I want to know what is some of the feedback that's really honest that you've given to somebody who maybe wasn't ready for um, some investor, you know, cash flow yet? What is some of the feedback that you've had to give that was really kind of hard? Because I know it can be really hard for us women, especially to give feedback. We want to be like slay all day, but you have to step into that boss role as an investor because you're in, you're in a business to succeed and help others succeed. Yeah, I think, you know, there's two themes that I would say frequently come up with female founders that to your point have just been told, go get it, you got it, like, the sky's the limit, go. And I think one is the idea surrounding timing, and are you ready for this? You know, when you take on money from a venture capitalist or from an investor, in many ways, you are on the clock. You are expected to be fundraising roughly every, you know, 18 to 24 months. And through those fundraising cycles, you are expected to be hitting, you know, these key benchmarks. And if you fall behind, people are, you know, begin to notice and, and you can, you know, get some X's on your on your scoreboard. And so I think I frequently remind founders that you don't need to raise day one. You can take your time in building. And you can choose when when to actually start the clock so that you're actually setting yourself up for, for the best chance of success. So that would be one. I think another point that is, you know, more challenging to to articulate and probably harder for many founders to hear is that not all businesses are meant for venture capital. You know, the best businesses is you think about kind of the amount of money you're going to make at the end of the day will actually, you know, require no venture capital or minimal venture capital because you will retain ownership of 100% of your business. For sure. You're obviously super invested in everything with your career. You're successful. You have it all going on. And I see that like you're so well-traveled. As you were saying before, like you're into fashion. You have all these different things. It seems like you've been like everywhere you run. I see that you've done like a, mar- a marathon um, or was that, was it a marathon? It's a, a half. It's a, a half. half. Okay. So they add up to like some marathon equivalent. <laughs> Did you run? But you run. If you ran two half marathons, you can say you ran a marathon though. It counts. it counts. Five marathons worth of races. We'll say it like that. And it sounds far more impressive than it actually is. Love it. 
But in general, like you, you do a lot of stuff. And obviously, it seems like you're a woman that works a lot. And you know, we talked a little bit about hitting all these benchmarks in different areas. Um, And you know, we talked about how do you even sleep? How do you have time for this? Tell me a little bit more about your favorite place that you've been and how you make time to go places like that. How often are you able to travel? Yeah. So I am all over the place when it comes to travel. I think I've been to, I don't know, 45, 46, 47 countries. It's definitely you know something Ooh. that I care a lot about and that this year is putting a little bit of a damper on. Um, for me with travel, I think we so frequently make excuses as to why we can't do something or what's getting in the way. And my mentality kind of across life is that if you want to do it, you make it work. And so, you know, I've done weekend trips to Seoul, Korea. I've done weekend trips to Tokyo, Japan, Hong Kong, you name it. And it's a, you take a day off from work. Maybe it's a long weekend. You take the red eye, you suck it up and you're on the ground for a magical three days and pack in everything you want to see. Um, and for me, you know, it's maybe not as rewarding as a seven day trip, but it's pretty close and it's what I can make work. So I'll take, you know, the triple versus waiting three years for the home run. And so travel, I would say, is definitely something I prioritize. I think I, you know, value travel for two reasons. One is the ability to reset, um, because I think, you know, as we think about rest across all areas of our life, it is really important to just get away. Two, I think that the ability to generate, to continue, I guess, to evolve my breadth of perspectives in terms of getting a diversity of thought or exposure to different cultures really makes me a more interesting human, hopefully makes me a better human and makes me better at my job, which is, you know, identifying the next generation of consumer trends. And so seeing something that you know, teens are doing in Korea could be very, you know, informative of what we're going to see in the Bay Area in two years or three years. As I kind of think about my favorite place to travel and somewhere I actually was very fortunate to go twice in 2019, um, it would have to be Australia. Australia for me is kind of the ultimate getaway in that you are so at the end of the earth that I really feel this ability to disconnect in a way that I, you know, so, so much, so struggle to do here. Um, I would also say kind of their emphasis on wellness, but with, you know, this aesthetically pleasing overlay makes me feel, you know, inspired to do those activities, whether it's yoga or running or eating healthy or sleeping that make me feel my best. Um, but they do it in a way that's very much celebrated and embraced. And it's not a view that you are being selfish by by investing in yourself, it's this view that you are kind of doing what is right for the world, right for you. And that mindset to me is very, very restorative, which is something, again, that I think we all need more of in our life. Speaking of aesthetically pleasing overlays in Australia, how about the men? The accents. So, I don't know. The accents are, are strong. I think so many people love them. They're not my thing. Same. Uh, Same. Same. I don't. I think it makes it sound like they're like struggling to get the words out. And (laughs) I speak so much. And so quickly that like I need to get out a lot of words in a minute. And so I just don't really know. I feel like they're going to like run out of run out of fuel in their (laughs) their vocal cords. That said, you know, objectively attractive. And a very different flavor than you see in the Bay Area. I think one interesting takeaway from all of that across all of these cities as it relates to men 
is that there are kind of the gold standard jobs, appearances, mentalities that are quote unquote cool in these different cities. And they're so different than one another, which kind of just makes me laugh because I think, you know, we all hold ourselves to these standards or we hold men to these standards of a, this is perfection. And perfection is so made up in our heads. It's funny because you just see the differences across geographies or demographics, which I think makes me, you know, it gives me a little bit more breathing room as I think about, oh gosh, what are guys saying about me? Because perfect to one guy is so different than perfect to another. And you definitely can't please them all. So it's kind of a, you do you. And at some point, hopefully you'll find, find your, find your type of crazy um, out there among the whatever, 7 billion ants that are crawling this world. (laughs) I find that the more perfect looking the guy, the less substance they have internally. Often. It would be a fascinating study to do. Um, I have this theory, which no data to back it up could be entirely made up. But I think that the awkward girl or guy from middle school ends up being the most interesting because you had to struggle. Like I had braces in middle school. I was like figuring out how to deal with like all elements of my hair or my life or whatever it is. And I was just not a looker. And that's what was okay. It was definitely harder socially, but you learn to develop your own personality and to have your personality stand on its own versus relying on looks. And I think there are definitely those, you know, kids who grow into adults who have been very blessed. And it's great that they've had such positive experiences, but they've never encountered struggle or bullying or social hardship. And so I feel like they lack in a ways a depth or richness, um, which I think, you know, to your point speaks to the pretty face, somewhat empty head. Mm-hmm. What, what kind of hair problems were you navigating when you were young? <laughs> yeah, I had like all sorts of body hair. It was like figuring out how to do my eyebrows, like what doing your eyebrows even meant. Um, so it was all, the, all of that sort of fun stuff, which middle school boys love to comment on. Middle school girls, you know, don't love as much to listen to them comment on. Um, right. But I figured it out. Um, it's been a whole new evolution during quarantine to figure out the DIY approach to a lot of it, but we're making it work. Can we just talk about how like the middle school and high school children today don't even go through that awkward phase anymore? Like I had to carry a sequin glitter purse and wear blue fucking eyeshadow and like have like this horrible frizzy hair and then finally one day I got a straightener and then just like pin straight hair and like I still can barely do makeup and then there's all like no wonder these guys don't know these girls aren't 18 yet like look like a supermodel at the age of like 12 like what in the fuck I so don't understand it I don't know if I'm amazed or horrified by the progress that they've made but I feel like they live in a world of filters um but these filters somehow extend to to real life because I definitely see them around the city and they're a little like uniform skirts rolled up a little bit too high, but dang, like they look good. Um, and I did not look that way at that age. Let me tell you. I'm like ready to take tips from like a 12 year old. Like, can I you teach me how to do my makeup? I'll give you 20 bucks. <laughs> real though, real. <laughs> I have this awkward photo. If I could find it, I'll totally post it on our Instagram page. But do you remember how like, because I was I was a kid. Let's see, I was a teenager in the late 90s. So I had like the butterfly clips. I had like, oh, yeah. Oh, 
I thought I was Alicia Silverstone in Clueless. Like my first day, eighth grade, I wore like knee highs and like a mini skirt. And I had like Tweety Bird on like a crop top. You're doing it all. I'm honestly jealous. Or the 1999 version of me would have been quite jealous. Yeah. I also got bullied though. So I don't even know how. (laughs) Like like there was no winning with me because I was just, I was also very bizarre. Just a, a very, too creative for my own age. Do you know what I mean? So. The best kids are, the best kids are. It was a mess. I don't know what was more intimidating, the Hollister spray tans on the mannequins or the Abercrombie scents, but I totally remember going to the mall and dealing with all of that. I'm an only child, and my dad was kind of much older, this, like, hippie from Berkeley, and my mom was had immigrated from India um, in the late 80s, and so they had no sense of what was cool, and kind of left me on my own to figure it out, (laughs) which again, worked better in some years than others. But the going to the mall, figuring out what to buy, figuring out how to convince my parents that this was in some way age appropriate was it was a true battle. It was maybe the first test I experienced in in real negotiation, Um, which, you know, I don't know if it worked out well, necessarily, but I I was able to get some pretty cute sequined what is, what were those tanks? The ones that were not Henleys, but I'm sure they had some cool name on the Abercrombie website that allowed them to charge oh, yeah. you know, 80 bucks for a face mask's worth of fabric. So I want to know now, um, you know, you, you, you act like you were this ugly ducky and it grew into a swan, but I still find it hard to believe because you're gorgeous. I want to know what is, what are, what, what's like a beauty secret or two aside from sleep, hydration, the stuff that we kind of already talk about that like is there is there some sort of like a product that we need to be like hyped on that we don't know that you're you're hyped on like share your secrets products wise honestly no I think a lot of it is lifestyle I went through the very very sad experience last year of letting go of all of my highly effective but toxic makeup and body and products and so credo clean um, and use exclusively clean products. Um, the coverage is not the same. You get used to it and it's fine. Um, but I think going through that process for me was, a, you know, again, I'm investing, I'm investing in my future self by not poisoning my pores every single day, which mm-hmm. I very much was. Um, so yeah, kind of just leaning into a slightly more natural look than maybe I previously loved. A lot of it, though, I think honestly comes down to sleep, diet, and exercise, which is a super lame answer. But no, it's, just it's great. Of, it's taking care of my body um, so that, you know, the skin slowly begins to shine in the way that you feel like your soul is shining because you feel like you're maybe not even at your 100%, but you're at least at your 90%, which is much better than you know, the 60% I was operating at two years ago, despite being younger. And that's exactly what I mean by when I say like, how you look is the least interesting thing about you. Like, I think that we need to be focusing on things that don't just emphasize how we look, but emphasize how we feel. So when you talk about things like that, like your yoga, your sleep, and it's like, there really isn't a product secret. It's like, yeah, what's better for you is going to make you feel better. And then you look better because you have more confidence and you're smiling. My grandmother always said the best fashion accessory you can ever wear is a smile, which it's so real. And it's so strange to me these days with everyone wearing masks because I definitely smile at everyone I pass. And then I'm like, oh, wait, Mira, no one can see you. Um, 
But I think it, I wonder if it contributes to some of the animosity that we all feel these days, because everyone you look, walk by kind of looks like deadpan, like they don't care about you, which is a bummer, but also necessary given the numbers that we're seeing kind of across the board. So what would you say um, your diet is like? Because you said you cleaned up your beauty products and obviously you're super busy with work and everything. How do you make sure that you're hitting those nutrition marks when you have a busy day at work or whatever it may be? Like, did you um, take a step back with your diet as well? Or have you always kind of ate in a healthy way? Yeah, I would say growing up, biggest like sugar mac and cheese fan that existed have since cleaned it up a fair amount. And I think one thing that has really helped my diet is introducing routine to it. You know, working from home, I am eating the exact same thing for breakfast and the exact same salad for lunch pretty much every day because I like it. It makes my body feel good. And I don't have the time to think about something new or to come up with this new dish that I'm going to like just as much or perhaps even less. I think going back to kind of this whole image of perfection or you're so interesting is this, you know, lot these lies we all tell one another on Instagram that we are eating this exciting, like, you know, super, you know, out there savory lunch every single day or every single night for dinner. And I would venture to guess that the most successful people or the happiest people actually are, you know, cycling through far fewer options. You know, mm. do I love on dinner on a Friday night? Absolutely. But having just that sense of stability in my day. Um, as it relates to Monday through Thursday, let's say, I think is actually very grounding um, because my body knows what to expect. I know what to expect. I know what's going to make my stomach hurt. I know what's going to leave me drowsy in the afternoon. And so I can kind of tweak things to set myself up to feel my best so that I can hopefully perform my best. And so my diet is, you know, pretty boring as it relates to a lot of kale, a lot of eggs, a lot of, you know, vegan cheese products and some peanut sauce and and veggies uh, surrounding the plate. Um, But it's really kind of choosing those items that, again, don't get in the way. Um, Because I think so frequently across the board, whether it's social media or your diet, these shiny things actually become distracting. So it's a how can we move as many of those kind of out of the way so that we can just keep, you know, moving forward inch by inch because life is great, but life is not easy. And so any way that we can kind of remove a little bit of friction, I actually think is really valuable. So since we're talking about food, um, we are going to move into a segment of our show where we do these rapid fire questions. So we're just going to go ahead and get right into it. They're a little random, a little all over the place. What food do you love the most? that a lot of people might think is a little odd mayo really spicy mayo will put on anything Um, okay best thing ever yes I don't I don't like love regular mayo but spicy mayo at like uh when I get sushi yeah love Brie, you were talking about spicy mayo on your story last night, and all I wanted to do is squeeze mayo in my mouth. I'm glad that we're the three love mayo sisters right here because <laughs> it was uh, chipotle mayo. Oh, ooh, that sounds amazing. It was, um, good. it was good. Mira, would you rather go somewhere you've been a million times already with your best friend or go somewhere you've been dying to visit with someone that annoys the shit out of you? Best friend, definitely. Of course. No time for bad people. No time for bad people. Ew. Love new love people. That. Can't stand bad people. I hex you. I hex you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So 
room full of clowns or room full of spiders? Clowns, definitely. I'm just yeah. laughing because it's the first time I've seen these questions, and I think that's a great <laughs> one. <laughs> I was like trying to get real creative writing these. So um, I don't, I don't mind clowns or spiders, but hopefully the clowns will be crawling all over you. Spiders are like snakes in that spiders have too many legs. Snakes don't have enough legs, so you just can't tell where they're gonna go. And I love so I that. want like back and forth, like maybe one step left, one step right, but it's just like again, you gotta restrict your options, and they both have too many options when it comes to direction. You're like, show that me your is legs. Such a great way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> show me your legs, or I'm not gonna hang out with you. Yeah. I'm done. Oh, I'm done. Oh, all right. So. I know it looks like you're married from your Instagram. Is that right? No, I am exploring my options as one does during quarantine. Oh my gosh. This is so good. So this question is perfect then. You just went out on a date with an amazing guy. Perfect date. So hot. Such a gentleman. So smart. He does everything perfectly. But then he does that one thing at the end that ruins everything. And you decided you cannot see him again. Mira, what is that one thing that he did? Sexist comment. Absolutely. Deal breaker. Has that happened in real I life? I you just knew the answer. Yeah, me too. Uh, so I'm going to make a plug for my favorite book that I think everyone should read. It's a book called Boys and Sex. It was written by Peggy Orenstein, and she released it, I want to say earlier this year or last year, but it basically talks time. through like toxic masculinity and everything that we need to do as a, as a country to kind of fix this issue that really plagues all of us. I was on a date and someone dismissed my book recommendation and it was just like game over. They thought the whole concept of toxic masculinity was overblown. And I was kind of thinking like, I think you're overblown. Got to go. And you're overblown. And if you thought you were going to get blown, you are wrong. <laughs> real, real. real. <laughs> Real talk. Okay. What is one thing that makes you feel young? Hanging out with college students, I would have to say. I graduated more years ago than I would like to admit, but still I'm in contact with a few of them through my sorority or whatever else. And feeling remotely connected to them or like they think I'm remotely relevant is the biggest, biggest compliment anyone can give me. Because um, it makes me feel like I still got game. And like, I still got a lot of years left, which, you know, I hopefully do. Yeah. It's like, ooh, I'm a cool mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I know how to do my makeup, right? Yeah. What about for you, Brie? I, I wonder what your answer is for this one. I mean, you are young. Mm. You're you're in your like mid-20s. So screw you. But also, what's your answer? <laughs> I feel like I can kind of relate. But I don't know. In general, I just don't feel old. Like, I have this group chat with my girlfriends and – the one just, uh, she's telling us it was her half birthday. A well, you know, um, we're all like making oh, yeah. fun of her. We're like, oh, half birthday. Um, but then she was like, I'm 26. I'm so old. Meanwhile, I'm the oldest one in the group chat. I'm only one year older. I'm 27. But um, I was just like, I don't feel old at all. Like all my friends are like starting to get married and have babies. And I'm like, oh no, I don't feel like there yet. I just feel so oh, young. So it still feels bizarre to me that like people are getting married. Like I have friends that I graduated high school with my best friend growing up. She's already pregnant with her second kid, been married for a few years now. I'm just like, how are you adulting this hard? How you do that? 
I honestly think a lot of it is a choice. Um, and I think to your point, on so many of those metrics of adult success, I am many years away and feel great about that. I even think yeah. any time with my parents who are very young for their age and do all the same things I do, whether it's running or biking or enjoying quite a few glasses of wine on a Saturday night. Um, but they've decided to stay young. And so in my potentially naive little mind, if I approach life with the same mentality, like I'm not going to be old for another 60 years. Amen. Yes. Fingers, crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. I, I think that there's something too, just to go back to what your profession is, is that I think that there's something to be said for women that focus on success and what that means to them as a priority um, I think those women also are more apt to kind of be conscious about their health, their overall well-being. And it does, it seems to me that like finding a partner, marriage, kids doesn't always fit into that equation. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at personally. That's like kind of my journey. And that's something I was just talking to Lauren about yesterday that I want to start talking more on here. Like we talk a lot about the bullshit that we find on social media and everything, but there's so many just social, um, like timelines that society has just created over the years. Like, oh, you graduate college and then you find someone, you get married, you buy a house and then you have kids and you're like, why is it got to be that way? Like, when are we going to finally, and like some people are obviously breaking out of that. And we see, especially with the rise of women finally standing up and putting their career first or whatever it is. But also at the same time, if you're the type of woman that does put her career first, that doesn't mean you can also be working for the house and want to be a mom and everything else as well. Like, when are we going to finally just accept that it is your own timeline? Just because your mom is begging you to go to school to be a nurse because she wants you to have that stable job with the, like, I'm, I'm always hearing, you know, parents saying like, but the benefits, the benefits, like I got no benefits and I'm happy as a clam. Yeah, I think, I mean, we'll see how the next year or so plays out. I think I have so many friends in positions of uh, I'm engaged or I have a wedding planned or whatever it is. And quarantine is like the worst thing that's ever happened to them. And all of their timelines are getting pushed back and they don't know how to deal. And it's funny because like my life is, I mean, yeah, would I be traveling more a hundred percent, but it's not that different. Like nothing's getting delayed. It's going to like different, but like, it's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just life is going to be what I make it or based on the people I encounter or whatever it is. And so who knows, like the optimist in me feels like this, you know, period of disruption will be a nice reminder for everyone that expecting to have done xyz by 29 or 33 or whatever the age is is kind of a silly thing that we've all literally just made up mm-hmm. um, we can also all literally just decide that it doesn't matter and move on with our lives so we will see we will see where can people follow you people can follow me on twitter at it's mira clark or on Instagram at Mira Clark. Mira is M-E-E-R-A. Clark is C-L-A-R-K. Perfect. Thank you again. This was Mira Clark on It's All Bullshit. Okay, Mira, thank you so much. I like. I hope we can stay in touch and be friends and all that. And next time I'm in, in Thanks for listening and subscribe to get notifications of fresh, bullshit-free episodes each week. Follow us on Instagram. 
iTunes, Spotify at It's All Bullshit Podcast, or send your questions to hello at It's All Bullshit Podcast.com.